excuse my voice, I have a sore throat. Just got it yesterday. It was on sale. Anyways, that wasn't very funny, was it? <laughs> Alright, some things never change and some things do. Breaking a string never changed. That's all good. Um, just as Josh said, I'm Jeremy. For those of you that don't know me, got a couple of new faces in here. In the back corner over there is my beautiful wife, Brianna. She's shy. She won't hardly wave at all. Been married for three months now. It's great. It's good. But anyways, it's moving on. Um, Exodus 28 is where we'll be. <coughs> Let me see if I can swig this yet. Oh, that is hot. Not in the cool sense of hot. You know, like, that's hot. No, it really is hot. Burned my mouth. Alright, when Josh asked me about a week or so ago to <coughs> teach the Bible study, and I was reading his text message, and I saw at the very bottom of it, you'll be teaching Exodus 28, I thought, is he trying to embarrass me? To show me a... I don't know what I'm talking about. Exodus, who reads the Old Testament? <laughs> you laugh, because you know it's true, because it's hard to understand at some points. There's a lot of uh, metaphors, a lot of prophecies, a lot of things such as this chapter where you might hear a word for the first time. What's, a, what's an ephod or epod? What's that called? What, what is that? You know, why, why does the priest have to wear such strange clothing? You know, I've never heard of this place before. Who, who's that guy? Why is his name spelled like that? You know, and you never hear these things. You start reading through the Old Testament and you kind of scratch your head a little bit and think, well, how does this apply to me? How does, what's God going to say to me through this? Well, he does say something through every word of his word. So let's pray and ask that he will open up his word to us. Father, we thank you that you are good to us, Lord. We thank you that you love your children, Lord. Thank you that you're here right now, willing and ready to speak to us. And we ask, God, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that you would conquer and move the sin that is clouding our vision to see you clearly, Lord. You would just move it out of the way, Lord. Lord, our hands are dirty, God. Our, our feet are dirty. We've walked where we shouldn't have. We've been where we shouldn't be, Lord. Our eyes have seen what we should not see. Lord, our tongues have said things that they should not say. And we ask that you would come with your pure and clean and righteous power. You would cleanse us, Lord, and just open our eyes that we would see you more clearly, Lord. We would see you as the most beautiful thing we've ever seen that others would look at us and wonder why we see God as so beautiful and they cannot see past their hurt in their lives, Lord. And just help us to use the words we hear tonight from your word to strengthen us, Lord, that we would spread your word to the people around us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, Exodus chapter 28. I'm not going to read the entire chapter. It's uh, about, what is it, 45 verses, 43, 43 verses, and we go through a lot of repetition, a lot of make this such and such, and make it attached to this, and make this such and such color, and make it intertwined to this, and make this happen. So we're going to kind of look at it from a bird's eye view. I don't think we would have time to go verse by verse um, in an expository manner. Our main text is going to be 1 through 5 that we'll hone in on, and we'll see why is this chapter even being written? What What's God doing in the Exodus. And as you guys have been going through the Exodus, as Josh was telling me, going through um, a chapter a day, reading the devotionals, and then coming on Tuesdays and hearing a chapter a week, you'll see that Exodus is being established as a nation, finally. Not Exodus, Israel, I'm sorry. In the Exodus we read of Israel being established as a nation. They were people brought out from Egypt, but were not quite a nation yet. They were many in number, but they had no organization. They had no governmental system. I mean, they had Moses, and he would intercede for them between God, you know, and, and they would go places, and they would mess up, and they would provoke God, and this after this, after that, after that. And now, God's finally giving them some regulations, some rules, if you will, to abide by, to grow as a people, and to grow as a nation, to be set apart from the rest of the world. And that's what these priest's garments even lead us to. What is a priest for? Why does he wear these weird clothes, you know? But first, I want to open up by um, speaking on some things that maybe you've never thought about. You know, you think about 
you know, you think of a car and then you never thought about it this way, maybe, you know, maybe you never thought about, you've always thought about a car as a way of transportation, but you've never thought about it as a means of racing, you know, I mean, you have, but I'm just giving an example of what we're getting into, or things that if they actually happened, we wouldn't know how to deal with them, you know, if something actually happened this way, we wouldn't know how to deal with them, you might find them funny, you might not, well, here's one thing maybe you've never thought of, you know, everybody knows that the speed of light in imperial units is a approximately 186,000 miles per second, right? Well, what, my question is, what's the speed of dark? Huh? Okay? No good. That's funny, okay? If Jason Martin was here, he would be laughing. What happens if you get scared half to death twice? Okay? These aren't doing it for you, are they? Why do psychics have to ask for your name? Why do, why do psychics have to wait for you to ask a question? Imagine what phones would look like if our ears were nowhere near our mouths. Okay. These aren't all my jokes, by the way. Some of them are from a pretty good comedian. But anyway, you may have heard them. I spilled spot remover on my dog. Now he's gone. Spot. Oh my gosh, I might just get to the end. <laughs> Why is the only thing not on sale at a garage sale? The garage? I don't know. If you're traveling on a spaceship that is traveling at the speed of light and you turn on your headlights, does anything happen? Thank you. Thank you. Alright, my final and favorite one. What if you could see an itch? I mean, you'd just be talking to somebody. This is my last one. That was my favorite one. This is my last one. Okay. What if Christians didn't look like Christians at all? They just went around committing every sin they wanted to do. <laughs> not too funny, is it? No. That's why the jokes were corny. That's why they were meant not to be funny. I didn't mean for them to be funny. <clears throat> Saved myself. Anyways, what if, what if that's how we lived? What if we lived in a way that was not at all pleasing to God, that was not at all according to how the Bible says to live. We just did any and everything we wanted to. We had no conscience whatsoever. We had no conviction in our lives. What if? What would happen? What would happen to our witness? Would people even believe the good news that we share? So if God calls you out of sin to remain in sin, or God saves you to remain in sin, that's not good news. That's not even news. The Gospel was to call you from darkness to light, from evil into good, right? From death into life. So we're going to read verses 1 through 5, and this will soon apply. The Lord speaking, he says, Then bring near to you Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, and ye shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill, that they may <clears throat> that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make: a breastpiece of ephod, a robe, a coat, a checkerwork or a checkerwork, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. Verse 1 we read, Bring near to me Aaron your brother, or bring near to you, I'm sorry, bring near to you Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. What's the reason they were to be brought? They were to be brought to serve God as priests. Aaron and his sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, Ithamar, the calling of Aaron and his sons is into the priesthood. To be the first, if you will, priests of the nation Israel. To serve as priests. So then the question becomes, well, what is a priest for? Before you even get into why do they wear these silly looking, as we would think, garments, what are they even there for? Why is Aaron's calling now a priest. This is the official establishment of priests from generation to come, generation to generation to generation. Every priest you'll read of came from Aaron's family bloodline. It was only by birth that you could become priest. Okay? 
Hebrews 5, 1-4 explains, explains this in very plain terms for us. What is a priest for? For every high priest is chosen from among men, is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So priests served as mediators between God and man. They were people set apart for this very purpose, this very calling, this very cause, this very effect. Their job was to mediate, to act on behalf of men in relation to God. Priests would go into the tabernacle, they'd offer sacrifices for the sins of men. And the reason they could relate so well with the sins of men is because they too were beset with weakness. They too had flaws, they too had faults, they too had sins. They had their good days, they had their bad days. Um, Paul House puts it this way, Aaron and his sons will, will mediate God's presence by removing the sin barrier between the unfailing holy God and the unfailing imperfect human race. Uh, I want to touch on a quick subject really quick before we get <clears throat> into our personal application. You guys ever, um, the Catholic Church, you ever seen the Catholic Church, how they have, they have their priests, they have the Pope, they have their bishops, they have, and so forth, other leaders, and they do wear some of those garments. And I used to think, where do they get the idea to wear the garments? That's such a, such a turn-off to the world to, to flip on the TV and see some guy singing some him you can't understand because it's in Latin wearing this green robe with this white stripe down or this red hat. What's the deal with that? Well, this is a big place where they draw it from. They draw it from the priestly garments of the Old Testament. There's some Catholics that will turn around and school you and talk about the priesthood and how they're supposed to wear this and bam, 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 and wear these garments. But what? They've missed it. They've missed the point. And I'm not speaking of all the Catholics or every Catholic church that's out there. There's some that are right on. So, so don't confuse me saying, you know, anyone's ever Catholic or your, your mom or dad is Catholic, they're going to hell. That's not what I mean, okay? Um, we're talking on a specific subject about specific ones within the Catholic church. One thing they've missed huge, and it's been damaging for many hundreds of years, is they've missed what the calling of a priest really is. And who really is to be a priest, and who really is a priest. They teach this way. They teach that if you go to church, and you listen to the Catholic priest, whether he's teaching in Latin, or he's teaching in English, or whatever he's teaching in, and you go, and you learn your catechism, and you get baptized, and you pay your money, and you know you attend your certain amount of classes you have to attend, that they'll have your back when it comes to the judgment of God. When it comes to bringing you into heaven, the priest will stand between you and God for you and will mediate this system. Because that's exactly what Aaron was called to do. That's their reasoning. Aaron was called to stand in the gap between the nation Israel and anyone that joins them between God and man. He would offer the sacrifices for them. He would ask for the forgiveness. And that's what they've done. They've done the exact same thing, just they twisted it. And it's damaging many people. I know people like this. They'll tell you religious deals. They'll tell you, you know, colors of Christianity. They'll tell you, you know, reasons about Jesus and stuff like this. But then they live like hell. They have no witness to their testimony. They look like everyone else that you see. They don't look any different. But their whole reasoning is, well, yeah, I go to church. That's what I do. That's what, we're, that's what we do. You know, we're American. We go to church. We listen to the priests. And, hey, you know, I'm, I'm right here with God because I got my priest. That's not what the deal was. The priest went on behalf of penitent people. People sorry for their sins. People who had disgraced God and yet wanted to turn back to God, but yet could find no way. The priest would be that mediator. And just a couple of verses ahead before chapter 5 in Hebrews, we find in chapter 4... Now we don't need a priest other than one. We have a great high priest, one who will mediate between God and man for us. Hebrews 4, 14-16 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. 
Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have a priest. We have one who will stand in the gap for us between God and man. The one who bridges the gap, if you will. But here's the, here's the catch. Are you his? And that's what you can ask anyone who goes to church. Are you his? Or are you your churches? Are you your priests? Are you your pastors? Are you your teachers? Or are you his? The only ones that Christ will stand in the gap for are his. His children. There's no gap standing for a non-believer. There is no I'm like this with God for a non-believer. And for some that's hard to swallow. Well, I don't like that. Well, that's wrong because that would mean that Jesus is what? The only way to God. And that is controversial as all get out today. When you go up to speak to someone as Joshua says, what is that, a homosexual atheist? Yeah. Okay. Go speak to somebody like that. They've got all their beliefs about why God doesn't exist, all their beliefs about why they are the way they are. And to look at them dead in the face and say, Jesus is the only way to God. Do you know what you're saying? You're wrong. You're dead wrong. Literally dead wrong. You're dead in your sins and your trespasses. You're not alive in Christ. And if you die, you will not enter paradise. Well, that shouldn't bother an atheist. Shouldn't, right? They don't believe in God. I guarantee you, it will bother them. Something I've been watching a lot recently is uh, atheist debate videos and things like that, trying to prove the existence of God. And it's amazing how fired up they get. It's amazing how mad they get. There is no God! <laughs> then why are you so mad? <laughs> if there's no God, shut up and be on your way. Okay? And they say we're doing harm by deceiving people there is a God. But what the reality is when it gets to the bottom line is you're telling them there's one way and you're not on it. There's one road and you're not walking it. And we could step into a, a bigger doctrine that Jesus being tempted in every respect as we are yet without sin but we're not going to get into that tonight. So if you want further Bible study, chew on that for a while. That'll raise some questions in your mind. But anyways, we are to draw near to the throne of grace in confidence because we have the mediator, because we have the one who died for us, the one who laid his life down, the one who was not killed by man, but who laid his life down of his own choice. He said, I lay my life down. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down. He told Pilate, the Roman official, he told him, you have no authority except that which was given to you from above. He was in control of the situation. He was choosing to do it. And he went through so that way you could be brought from darkness and to light. So that way I could live a holy life. So that way I would stop profaning his name. So that way I would stop blaspheming every single day. And so I would stop sinning. And so I would stop living in a lifestyle that's not honoring to Him, and that I would bring glory to His name. Will I stop sinning 100% while I'm on earth? No. But I will be sanctified. I will progress. I don't want you to make a mistake and, and think that I'm saying there's no, there's no biblical teaching for the priests in their garments. It's no value any longer just because we don't do that anymore. Uh, we don't have to do that anymore. If you want to wear a robe on Sunday, go ahead. I don't care. Um, just make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. Um, that wasn't funny either. Um, anyways, but th- I don't want you to think that I'm saying there's no point to this because there is. If we read verse, cha- uh, verse 2 and verse 40 in chapter 28, verse 2 says, And you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother for glory and for beauty. When you read your Bibles, let me give you just a really quick basic study tip. Anytime it says the word for, always pay attention. If it says for, therefore, or so that, or because, or because of this, really pay attention. He's telling you because this is happening so that this will happen. This chair was built so that we could sit on it, correct? Okay, it's kind of a lame illustration. But he says, 
You'll make these holy garments for Aaron and, your, and his brother, or your Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. There's your reason. There's your reason in verse two, chapter uh, verse forty. For Aaron's sons, you shall make coats and sashes and caps. You shall make them for glory and beauty. How in the world does that apply to us? Well, let's see what what did it signify? What were the priests' garments made out of? Uh, verse four. They shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. Why these colors? Why these items? Why garments anyway? Who cares? Just let it be priests. And I mean, do, do clothes really matter to God when it comes to should you serve Him? Like, like, do you have to wear the most stylish clothes to go to church? No. Is it okay if you come to church, you know, and you don't have the coolest clothes because you don't have the money to buy them, so you have to shop at um, Salvation Army and thrift stores? It's more than fine. Who cares? So what's the deal here? Why is he calling his priests to wear these clothes? The priest's garments reminded them both of their position and their dignity. When they put these garments on, both they themselves and those around them were reminded who they were and what they were called to do. A priest wearing his garments was not likely to go sleep with a prostitute. Okay? It's like today. You know, you, you walk around, you see, you see a guy dressed in all black with a little white card right here. What do you think? Priest. Okay? It, it's a mindset. It, it grabs you. It clicks in the mind. These colors, these clothings were used so that way when the priest put on his clothing, it would be a reminder of who he was, what he was called to do. So how does that apply to us? Big deal. So, that, so they were called that way. But what does Romans 13, 14 say? It says, we have clothes that we wear too. Or a clothing. It says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Okay? Put yourself thousands of years ago in the priest situation. Okay? You put on the clothes. Just like we put on the Lord Jesus Christ today. You step outside the tabernacle. You go amongst the people of God. And a prostitute is walking around. Is she likely going to think that you're going to sleep with her? No. Why? Because she sees who you are. And she sees who you're called by. She knows by how you live, by the way that you act, what your testimony is. If you don't live and act in accordance with Scripture, then your only other choice is that you live and act in accordance with the world. And if you live and act in accordance with the world, what are you doing? You're befriending them. And I don't mean, can, whoa, does that mean you can't wear, like, vans? Because that's a, it's a secular plan, you know? I mean, I guess I can only shop at C28 from now on. <laughs> no, it's not what it means. It's a spiritual matter. It's the way that you live. It's what you do with your money. It's what you do with your time. It's what you do when you're home alone. It's what you do when you're out with your friends. What witness will you have if you live like the world? None. You won't have that witness. You will not live for Christ. Well, some of you right now, maybe you're thinking... So what? I'm so mad right now, something funny. I don't even know why I'm here. I'm so burnt out on this God thing. I'm tired of hearing you up there saying you you know what you're talking about. You're only 24. Who cares? You don't have life experience. Take it or leave it. God calls you to a holy calling. He's a merciful God. He's a God full of mercy and full of grace. Choosing to go with the world? Fine. If you do that, do you know what lies ahead for you? Death. That's it. Christ came to give life, and life abundantly. And if you're here tonight, or you know somebody who's just burnt out on Christ, spend five minutes with Jesus alone. Spend ten minutes with Him alone. Just spend some time with Christ. Give Him your questions. It's okay to question God when you do it in a manner 
that is right, when you do it in a manner out of reverence and respect, when you are seriously hurting inside, it's okay to go to the great high priest and ask him to come for you and ask him for mercy and ask him to show you why it's so important. Oh God, it looks like the world has so much more. They're rich, they're famous, they get all the chicks, or ladies, they get all the guys. They have all the coolest clothes. They got the coolest music, the coolest cars. I don't have anything. Life all Jesus. Sorry, I just caught myself for a moment. If you go and live like the world, death awaits. And that's a promise. That's not a a life experience thing. I don't need to experience death in order to tell you that it goes on. It happens every day. And not just the physical death. What about the spiritual death? How do you feel inside today? Do you feel alive? Are you alive inside? Do you do you have emotions for God? Do you do you care? Do I care? Because I can tell you honestly, as I started to prepare this study, my mind was fifty different directions. What about this? What about this? And I'm not talking biblically, okay? I'm talking just Life in general. Well, what about this at work? Well, what about this in life? Well, what about this with my, my new marriage? What about this with rent? What about this with such and such? What about this? I'm paying this though. Everything. Everything to keep me distracted from focusing on the Lord and focusing on His love and His mercy and His compassion. And as soon as I got focused, as soon as I spent some time with Christ, I was alive. I was living again. Not that his salvation failed me, but I wasn't focused. I wasn't looking to the priest. I was letting my flesh gratify its desires. And not just, you know, the, the huge, you know, full of debauchery and drunkenness, you know, and everything. Not, not even that stuff. I'm just talking in the, the normal ways. Your flesh wages war on your soul every day. Read First Peter. It's in there. Your flesh will wage war on your soul. Do you know what means by war? That's a violent word. Our country is out in another country right now, involved in a what? A war. What do they do in war? They kill people. So if your flesh is at war with your soul, what's it trying to do? It's trying to kill your soul. So you need to pick up your sword. Ephesians, right? You need to pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and you need to fight flesh. If you have no feeling left for God right now, and you're just high and dry, well, praise God that He brought you here tonight. I just hope that you would read, that you would get into His Word, that you would you would bow your knees, and you would get into prayer, and you would just focus on Him, and you would cry out and open your heart to Him. Because He will, he will come. What, what did Jesus promise? Anybody that comes after me, I will in no way cast them out. In no way cast them away. Getting back to the believer's side. Christ is to be so visible in the way that we live, it's like clothing on our body that everybody can see. If we could wear Jesus physically, like if we could physically put Jesus on and we look like Jesus, I think we'd do much of less, much less of the things we do, don't you? I think we, would, we wouldn't have so much compromise in our lives. But this doesn't mean... Put on Jesus, putting on the Lord Jesus, doesn't mean putting on a front. And what I mean by that doesn't mean saying a few words that sound good to the Christian culture or doing a few things that look good to the, the eyes of your pastor or the eyes of your friends that go to church. It doesn't mean that. Do not fall into the trap of, well, I've said that prayer. I've said that prayer. I've done that. Many times, with some of you in this room even, I've, I've been street evangelizing with you, and, and I'm sure they ran into it in North Carolina, where you, you'd speak to someone about the salvation of their soul, and they'd say, oh, I've done that, man, I've done that. What have you done? Oh, I prayed that prayer. What? What, what does that mean? What do you mean you prayed that, that prayer? I don't understand what you're saying. Oh, you know, I asked Jesus to come into my life. Yeah, yeah, I did that. Oh, oh, great, so you're a Christian. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I go to church every that's me. You know, good Christian. Oh, great. And then you start asking them a few more questions. 
Well then, if you go to church so much, what was the message on the Sunday? Uh-huh. Well, what's the last thing you read in your in your Bible? What have you been studying? What have you been spending time with the Lord about? Uh, nothing really. Well, what do you do in your spare time? Oh man, last night I just got plastered. Let me tell you. I thought you just said you were a Christian. Well, well I am. I, I prayed the prayer. Okay. American evangelicals have been just as guilty as Catholics have, just in a different way. And not all. Again, not all. Going back to the Bible Belt, North Carolina, I've been there. One of the big things that they do is the association with the church, the filling out the membership card, the aisle, the everything. Is they, they Some of them make it seem like that's what it takes to get into heaven. Well, you're a member at our church. You're, you're, you're definitely going to heaven. No, 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 no. No member of church. No going to heaven. Not for that. The closest thing we read to anything like that, and it's a powerful Awesome verses in Luke chapter 18. You read, the, you read the tax collector who cries out to God, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus turns and says, That man went away justified. That man left and went to his house justified. He went forgiven of every sin he'd ever committed. Because why? Because this man did not lean on the prayer that he prayed. This man did not lean on the card he filled out. This man did not lean on the aisle he walked down. This man did not lean on the priest that said, I've got your back. This man leaned completely and only on God. And that is the only way. When Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, no one comes to the Father but by me, that means... No one comes to the Father but by me. There's, there's no beating around the bush. Giving one's life to Christ can happen before a word ever comes out of their mouth. But if it happens inside, what will it do? It will come out of the mouth. It will come out of the mouth. The Bible says no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Well, that doesn't mean no one can actually physically say the words, but no one can actually mean it and believe it and live it except by the Holy Spirit. So, if any of your friends, or if any of you, I pray not, I just don't know everybody in here, are leaning on anything but Christ and Christ alone, your knees should be hitting together. Because nothing will save you. A prayer, a word, going to a church in the Bible Belt, will not save you. You can be out in the middle of nowhere and get saved. Middle of nowhere. What is that? Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8? No membership card. No denomination. No non-denomination. No, not even a church. And then he got saved. And then he got baptized. Because what did he do? Because he believed. And because he believed, he carried out the lifestyle. He carried out the baptism. He went and got baptized. What's to keep me from being baptized, he asked folks. Folks said nothing. Let's do it. Right then and right there. So when you run into somebody who's gone through the motions and all that, just start asking them a few questions. But what about us? Are we going through the motions in life? Are we just going through the church thing, in and out, in and out, day in, day out? I read a quote that said, I'm so tired of the day to day. When you think about it, you live for this world, it does get pretty tiring day in and day out. I go to work, I come home, watch a little TV, I go to bed, I get up, I go to work, I watch a little TV, I go to bed, and the weekend comes, I party, and then Monday comes, I go to work, and it just, the day to day, the day to day. No matter how many parties you go to, no matter how many jobs you have, no matter how much money you make, it doesn't matter. It matter. When it's all said and done, one thing is going to matter. Where was your faith? Were you depending on God and only God? Were you trusting in Christ and only Christ? Did you put your faith in Him? Not in someone else. Not in something else. And I, I just... I'm talking about this because this, this burns in my heart. This is something that weighs me down terribly and it has for a long time because, with, like I said, with many of you, I've, I've been street witnessing lots of times. And people will think that just because 
you know, my parents take me to church every week, you know. Some of them even go to church with you, right? You ever run anybody on the street and they say, oh, I go to Harvest. <laughs> really? I've never seen you. Well, it's a big church. Yeah, but I'm there all the time. You know, I've never seen you. <laughs> well, I go once in a while. I'm in six months or so. There you go. doesn't matter where you go to church. That's not the point. It really isn't. It matters where your faith is at. It matters who you trust in, who you believe in, who your hope is set upon. Who are you counting on taking your sin away? Who are you counting on to judge you not guilty? Moving on. I'm going to read a couple more verses. I'm almost done. Don't worry. First Peter chapter 2. Please turn there. There's a point to all this that I'm getting at. First Peter chapter 2. We've been talking about the priests. We've been talking about living a, a life that is sanctified, that is set apart from this world. And just so, let's any of you get thinking that I'm getting into legalism by talking about living a life that is pleasing to the Lord, I just want to show you some Bible verses that are blatant, just flat out blunt, that this is how Christians are to live. And if you're a Christian, you're called to this. Every one of you, me too. Sad to say, I don't live up to it every day. I, re- I really don't. I really don't. I think about, and I'm sure Josh has shared this with many of you, I know I have in the past. I think about when Josh and I used to lead the study together, and man, we were idiots. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. And I'm, no disrespect to him. I know I can say it about myself, and I know he's cool with me saying it, I think. But we would do things that were just stupid. And at the same time, we were trying to teach the Bible. It doesn't make sense. The two, you know, doesn't go together. And that's why when you do your street witnessing sometimes, right? And you run into somebody and they go, well, what about so-and-so? And they name a, a preacher that got caught doing something or whatever. That's what it does. It damages the testimony. Now, man, I've, I, have, I have taken a knife to my testimony more times than I can count. I, mean, I, have, I have jabbed it. I have stuck it. I have everything you can think of. It's, it's been done. But listen... 1 Peter chapter 2, we're in verses 9 through 12. Speaking to believers, this is what Peter is saying. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, right? A holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, see, he cares for these people. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, people who are not of the world, right, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that... When they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Man, there's a big end result there. He said that. He said so that. Why were we a chosen race? Why are we a royal priesthood? Why are we called to this this priesthood? Why is every believer now, in a sense, a priest, if you will? That you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Evangelism is about proclaiming the excellencies of Him. That's what we were called to. Every one of us. Every one of us. There's, there's no escaping this. He does not say, um, there's a few of you, maybe some of you. No. Every one of you, in one way, shape, or form, whether you're a person that's called and you're going to end up preaching to thousands, or you do great with the, just a one-on-one, hey, let me, let me bring you over to my house for dinner, and let's just sit down and have a chat. You know, we'll just talk about, talk about Jesus, talk about things in life, and, and we'll, we'll talk. And that's how you proclaim His excellencies. However it is that God has called you, you're called in one way, shape, or form. Just go. He calls us to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. 
if, if something is violent with you, what's one of your first reactions? You want to get violent with them. And don't say, no, 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 because God says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, and I'm a Bible-believing Christian, and I'm, I'm always nice. Oh, really? Who in here drives? Oh, really? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Oh, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure none of you have ever been tempted to ram the car in front of you, cut them off, make a nice hand gesture that's not so much a peace sign. You know, one, one less finger. Okay? I'll tell you a quick story. I want to damage your testimony real quick. Get involved in road rage. Um, Pastor Matt Brown from Sambo's Church was speaking one time, and he, he was driving on the freeway, and he must have done something to make somebody mad because there was this van that was driving, and, and the person in the van sped around him and cut him off, and yeah, we gave him the birdie, and he was like... In the world, but he noticed in the corner of their van was a little sticker that said Sandals Church. And so he speeds up and he, he's trying to see who it is. And he's like, Is that my associate pastor? <laughs> he didn't say that, I'm just saying, okay. And he's pulled up and the person's like, Yeah, yeah, and realizes who it is and like goes, Thinking about this before. 
Acts 17.25 says this, Nor is he, God, served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So how you're not supposed to serve God as if he needed it. You're not supposed to serve God as though he needed anything. Because he is the creator. He owns it all already. He knows the outcome of everything already. He gives you breath. He gives you life. He gives me breath. He gives me life. What are you going to give to God that he doesn't already have? Nothing. So how are you not supposed to serve God? By serving him as though he needs it. Because you're blaspheming when you do that. You're saying, God, you are insufficient. If I don't give this to you, you won't have it. And God is sufficient. He's not insufficient. Jesus also said, I came to serve, not to be served. Well, i got a problem here. The Bible tells me I'm to serve God, but then turns around and tells me he's not served. He, he didn't come to be served. Or he came not to be served, but to serve. I came to serve, not to be served. What's, what's, the, what's the contrast here? What were Aaron and the priests doing? Serving God. He doesn't need them to do this. He can do it if he wants to by rocks. He said he'll make rocks cry out. He used a donkey. He spoke in stillness. He's used many different methods. He can use anything. He doesn't need us. First, first answer to the question. This is how we serve God. Take note of this. First, when we serve God, we must go in as the receiver and never the giver. When you're going to serve God, you're going in to receive, not to give. This is what I mean. There's nothing you can give God that He doesn't already own. God does not need our help with anything. I'm drawing this from Acts 17.25 and also Hebrews 11.6. Hebrews 11.6 says this, And without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. When you go after God, He will always be the one who does the rewarding and we must believe that we will receive the award or the reward. We go after the one who blesses. We don't go to bless the one to, for, to bless Him. He blesses us. What can we give Him? Nothing. He has it all already. So you must go to God believing. You must seek God believing that He exists and that He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. You must be the receiver. If you go to God for salvation as the giver, God, I just give you everything. I already have it. Thanks. How about you receive it? God, be merciful to me, a sinner, is what the tax collector prayed. And Jesus himself said, This man went away justified. He came to God as the receiver, not as the giver. Our king is king, and he is the king who gives. And we are the servants, the humble servants, who receive. We don't deserve it, but he gives it. There's an, there's an old catechism, many of you may have heard it. It says, the chief end of man, or man's end, the ultimate result of man, is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. Some have said, we most glorify God by enjoying Him forever. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. When we're happy in God, that shows so much more to the world. Christians who walk around, I just hate my life, my life sucks, I don't have any money, and this and that. That's not appealing to the world. They got those same problems. But when you go to God and you know that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him, and you've taken that problem to Him, and you've given it to Him, and you said, God, it's in your hands. You own everything. Do with it what you will. And the world sees you looking like that. Atheists are not, they cannot deny something is different about you than about them. Why don't we worry about money as Christians? Maybe we do. But why shouldn't we? Because we have the great giver. Why is it okay to overspend when you're giving it 
to God? Why is it okay to give extra of your time? Why is it okay to give extra of your life, to give extra of your money? Because it's not extra. It's not extra. It's a drop, if that, in a bucket of what God has already given to us. And it's okay if you run out of money serving God, because He is the supplier. His barns are never empty. His bank account is always overflowing. His bank account is always getting more and more and more. If you follow up the ladder, it just keeps getting more and more and more. He can do anything He wants to. The second way we serve the Lord, and it goes right with the first, is by serving the church. Ephesians 4, 7-8, through 8, and verses 11-12. through 12. You can just listen if you want. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers, here's the reason, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. We're all called to some form of ministry in some way or another. Maybe not necessarily ministry, like full-time ministry at a church or in a mission field, but do you minister to your family? Are you ministering to the body, to the church, in any way that you can? Are you going to minister tonight? You've been given a gift, and it's to minister, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to help equip someone else so that they can go equip someone else, so that they can go equip someone else, and it keeps going, and it keeps going, and it goes. But don't do it as though God needs you to do it. God can equip anyone He wants. He can fill anyone's head with any amount of knowledge. He can strengthen anyone's heart that He wants to. He chooses to use us. He doesn't need you to do it. He wants to use you. And to me, that, that's big. That, that is, that's jaw-dropping. That God wants me to serve His church, to serve His body to bandage the wounds done to his body, the church, to, to equip people, to lift them up, to pray for them. Why? What did I do? Nothing. Everything wrong, maybe? Knowing what we already know about not serving God as though we need something, it's safe to say that the reason we bless others is so, so that we too will be blessed. You always go into ministry as the receiver. Even if you're going to bless someone else, you're going in to receive from God. You're going in so that when you pray for your brother or sister, that you too are built up in the Lord. So that when you speak the words of Scripture to them, that those words, that sword that's cutting through their flesh is cutting through yours. You're always going in as the receiver. You bless to be blessed. That's the way it is. That's the way God set it up to be. And when you are being, and when you are being a blessing to others... It is a blessing to you. And here's what we know. Last thing, we're going to close with this very point. I want to point out something that wasn't said in Exodus. How about, why wasn't Moses chosen? Why was Aaron chosen as the priest? What good reason was Aaron to do the priest work over Moses? Moses was called first. It wasn't until Moses said, Oh, I can't speak, I can't do this, I can't do that until God called Aaron into anything. It was Moses who went up on Mount Sinai and got the Ten Commandments. It was Moses who broke them and then went back and had to get them again. It was Moses who led the possible millions of Jews across the land. It was Moses who initiated the conversation with Pharaoh. It was Moses who was the leader of the land. Not Aaron. Aaron was second. He was number two. You know what people say about number two? Second is first loser. That's what people say. That's, that's the phrase now. But here's why I don't feel bad if you're number two. If you're, in, if you're not in the spotlight, if you're a little bit in the shadow of the one who is in the spotlight, God doesn't see it that way. God picked Aaron and his family out because this priestly line was going to go through generation to generation to generation. Who after, it was like little flies, who after Moses in his family do you read about? How many of his sons and daughters and cousins and all do you read about? Can anybody name any for me? Not his wife. Name me some of Moses' sons. Can't do it, can you? 
Just Moses is remembered. What about his family? Well, nothing. Aaron's got Nadab and Abihu. Everybody knows them. They got torched later on. You know, we know we can name a couple of priests. We can name some of the work that priests do. But Moses' work was done. And what don't you hear Moses doing? Complaining. You know, you're Moses. Going, oh, why didn't you choose me? I parted the Red Sea. No, you didn't, because he knows God did it all. He knows God chooses to give the gifts. He knows God chooses to give out the calling. All we need to do is be obedient to that calling. And Moses was obedient by stepping out of the way. By letting this person with this calling do what they were called to do. So don't complain. Don't gripe. Don't throw a pity party because no one will come. Sorry. Brandon's mom used to tell her that. I thought it was funny. But anyways. Because um, if you find yourself doing that, you're not going to find yourself being used. Moses went on and was still used. And Aaron and his family were used. So whatever state you're in, if you feel like you're just in second place, you're, you're next to someone, or you're not noticed, it doesn't matter by man. If you're noticed by man, it matters who you're noticed by. It matters if you're noticed by the king. And you are. You're noticed by Christ who's giving you his calling. He's not asking you, are you doing, are you, are you doing Pastor Greg's job? No. Because that's his job. That's his calling. He's asking you, are you being faithful with what I've given you? Are you being faithful with the talents that I've given you? That's it. That's all that matters. There's where your treasure in heaven is going to come from. There's where the uh, judgment for the believers is going to come in. It's going to come out like wood or hair. It's going to be refined and be like gold. It's all about the end result. That's it. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this time. And Lord, I just pray, God, that you would override any of my babbling and any of my words that don't make sense. That they would have heard your word. Lord, if it's only the scriptures that we read tonight that pierce any hearts or no other words, God, I pray that that's what it would be. God, I pray that only what you wanted heard would be heard. I pray that our eyes would be opened, that our hearts would be refreshed, Lord. It is hard to fight the fight of faith. It is hard to wage war against our flesh because our flesh never lets up. It always tempts. It always fights. And we're so weak. We don't always fight. We, we throw up the white flag sometimes or we give in. And God, I just pray if anyone tonight is feeling that way, Lord, if they're feeling just far from you, I ask that you would draw them in close. Lord, I pray for your children in this room, God, that you would anoint them, Lord, with your spirit that you just lift them up into your arms tonight. That they would fight the fight of faith. If anyone in here, Lord, is having a hard time, Lord, they've strayed from you, Lord, I just pray that you would bring them back, Lord. You leave and you go find that one lost sheep, Lord. And you bring them back every time. And when the prodigal son comes, comes home and head bowed in shame, you come running and wrap your arms around them. Because your free gift is offered, Lord. And it's just to be received. It's not to be taken lightly. It's not to be there so we can focus on something else. It's that we can receive your free gift, Lord. I just pray, Lord, you give us strength to live in this world that is denying you, this world that is denying your truth, that even wants to deny that you exist. And we would stand up with a loud voice and proclaim your name. In Jesus' name. Amen. amen. One last thing. Vote Ron Paul in 2008. <laughs> That's all. That's my political jargon for the night. <coughs> all right. Great stuff. Go for Jeremy. I'm Amen. Family. I hope you've been exhorted. I hope you've been encouraged. And you know, it just... You know, I, I just love that point of that we, we, as Christians, I feel like the word Christian is just whack. You know, it's like... 
you're not called to be a Christian. You're called to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And if you're not living as a disciple of Jesus Christ, then are you? We need to be set apart. And if you haven't made that decision, then make it tonight consciously within your own mind, within your own heart. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. Everybody's a Christian. Everybody wears a cross. And I was thinking today, earlier, that maybe as we as disciples of Jesus Christ have made the decision to start chasing towards our King and running after Him and spending time with Him, that not only would we become disciples of Christ, but then duplicate ourselves and make a disciple of Christ and reach out to someone, or maybe someone who is a Christian, and call them to be a disciple of Christ. Maybe you say, well, Josh, I'm not worthy. I don't feel like I represent correctly. Then get moving. Step it up. Make a decision in this moment right now. Let your heart be pricked and changed today, tonight. God forbid that we say that we are Christians and follow the King, but never live the life set apart. That people look at us and fall on their face and say, there is a God, and I want to serve Him. Are people looking at your lives and saying, please disciple me? If not, then maybe there needs to be a change. I want you got family. I want you guys to be discipling people. I want you to be wrapping your arm around them and pouring into them. And if you feel like your life is not worthy, that's good, because it's not. <laughs> but if you feel like you're not representing correctly, then start. Become who the King has called you to be. Me too. Amen? Amen. You know... What was that statistic, dude? I remember way back when it was like, if Billy Graham went out and evangelized and led like a million people to Christ every month or something, it would still take like a thousand years for the entire earth to come to know Jesus. But if each person, each one of you, discipled, I think it was, yeah, two people, and they discipled two people, and they discipled two people, and they discipled two people, that the earth would be changed in like, I think it was 30 to 50 years or something like that, the entire earth would come to know Christ. Do you understand what you and me could do if we just reached out? If we just start, There's a calling. There's a new calling, I believe, on the verge for this generation. And it's not calling people to be... Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? When I was in North Carolina and I was saying that to people, they were just like... You know, like, no, no, I mean, I go to church, but I am not a disciple of Christ. I understand what that is, and I am not that. And I want to be that, to make that decision. You change in your own heart, in your own mind. Maybe we need to point at our own selves first, and make that decision, and then I encourage you, and give a shout out to you tonight, to go and start doing that to the people around you. Oh, you're a Christian, huh? Do you follow Jesus? Are you a disciple of Christ? No. Well, there you go. Many will say, Lord, Lord, and will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a scary thing. So, be refreshed tonight, man. Meditate on these things that have been shared. Wasn't that great? If the Lord spoke to you, then talk to Him about it. Hey, do you remember the things that we prayed about last week? Specific thing that God had shared with us individually and asked us to do? If you did not do that thing, what are you doing? Step out and do that thing that God has asked you to do. Step out and do that thing that you felt the tug on your heart to do. And if you have, then long live the King. And continue. Let's ask the Lord to speak to us as we leave this place and to continue to do a work in us. Amen? Amen. Lord, we've heard from you. And we ask that you would change us. And that you'd make us who you want us to be. Please. Press deep on our hearts. Convict us, Lord. Prick us. Do not allow us to stay the same. 
I'm sick of being the same, Lord. Help us to move forward. Help us to be encouraging the people around us. around us, And Lord, help our lives to truly convict by the way that we live. That people would see a different garment on us. We desire that, Jesus. And tonight, Lord, there are many here who I believe want to make that decision to put on that garment, to put on you, Jesus, and to start living in that way. If that's you making that decision, just talk to Jesus right now. As I pray, please agree with me. Father, disciples of you, King, in this day and this moment right now, following you, sitting with you, living for you, being set apart. We need your help. Can't do it without you, Jesus. Not even going to try without you, King. Need you to hold my hand. Need you to walk with me moment by moment, step by step. At work, Lord, at school, in my family, Lord, I need you to help me, King. So, Father, we reach out to you tonight, and we thank you that you've heard our prayers and that you're going to do a great work in us. Help us to see the fruit in our own lives, that we'd be encouraged. Help us to see the results tomorrow morning as we wake up, fresh and new, ready to live for you, King. So we dedicate ourselves to you the best that we can. We give ourselves to you completely in the only way we know how. We love you, Jesus. We want to obey your commands. Thank you for the work you've done tonight. Bless these. Bless these. In your name. Amen. 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 Amen.